Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 40, Starting Your Story Bible, coming to you on Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. You've probably heard of a story Bible, either through your writer's group or listening to people talk about TV shows. They are very important and very interesting if you are doing anything with related characters, related books, a series, anything where more than one book's worth of information could be mentioned or recognized or could come up in conversation in another book. So of course, mostly it is a single source of every single piece of information in a series, whether it's a TV series, a book series, a movie series, so that nobody accidentally has character A being um, this kind of character in the first book and, you know, a totally different kind of character in the second book. That's less likely to happen than something like um, my character Tori in Unexpected Superhero. Her car blew up, of course, because, you know, it's an action-adventure superhero story. (laughs) Um, So I had in my head for so long that she drove a Saturn, but her Saturn blew up. So she had to buy another car. And I know I've written down what car it is. I just can't quite remember (laughs) which car it is. So a story Bible would be a place where you can look up a character's name and have a whole bunch of information about them. Now, a lot of us have have done or have been taught to do or learned to do or heard about doing a uh, character sheet. Um, It could be any amount of description that has to do with the character's name, um, who what kinds of uh, tattoos or physical characteristics they have. Maybe somebody, you know, has one arm or four fingers or, you know, (laughs) whatever it is. Um, Anything about how they look, their background, that sort of thing. A story Bible is like taking these character sheets and expanding them to include really everything that happens in the story world. So some of the things that you would probably want to keep track of over the course of a series, less of a problem to remember at all if you're writing a trilogy, though it still can be challenging, especially like if you're traditionally published and you're writing a book a year. In the third year, you're trying to remember what you wrote two years ago about this character or that thing, which might now be a secondary element. And the challenge that we might face is forgetting that the reader might have read all these books in a row. And while we think, well, this is close enough. I'm sure that was probably it. I really do think that was it. But we don't go back and check. And then a reader says, wait a minute, in book one, you said this, but in book three, you said that. Imagine if you have six or eight or 10 or 20 books in a series, then it gets even more complicated, more things to remember. Whether you have a single main protagonist that goes throughout the entire series or different characters in every book of a related series. It's still a lot of information to keep track of. So these are some of the things that you might want to put in a story Bible. And this is just the beginning of a list. It would depend on um, the sorts of things that you are writing about as to what sorts of things that you might want to remember. So for instance, obviously the names of all the characters who are mentioned, you wouldn't accidentally want to have three Carolines in a small town that you're not saying 
um, these are actually different women named Caroline as opposed to accidentally keep using the same name Caroline. So for instance, when I was in college, uh, in my small dormitory, there is enough people where we all kind of knew each other. What I mean is it was a small enough, a small enough dormitory that we all kind of knew each other. And there were two Janes and, you know, near the beginning of the year, we're like, how are we going to remember which Jane is which without having to also try to remember their last names, which, you know, you're meeting all these new people. And, I don't know. It's college. We don't call people by their first and last name. We called some people Big Jane and Little Jane. <laughs> little Jane was really little, like maybe five feet tall with shoes on. <laughs> big Jane was taller. She had a more boisterous personality. She was Big Jane. And nobody minded. It wasn't offensive to anybody. It was just the way that we recognize that's the difference between that person and that person. Um, in my Loon Lake series, I talk about live Bert versus dead Bert. Like we call them live Bert now so that we can remember we don't mean dead Bert. It's, it's, it's a funny series. And so uh, anything that I can do to add humor in the way that people refer to each other uh, is another kind of element of the series. And it's something that I need to remember. Who is live Bert married to and who is dead Bert married to? You know, like these are important things. So any relationships between people? Um, I know that particularly in my Loon Lake series, it's a small town. It, it's based a lot on the area that I grew up in. And so there's a lot of cousins and people related to each other and people distantly related to each other. And so-and-so's cousin is married to so-and-so's cousin. And so they're not related, but I'm related now to both of them by marriage, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, fun things like that or just complicated things, big families, lots of people. Um, of course, you know, you hear people, uh, writers who have started writing a series and then their advice a lot of times comes back to make sure you give your characters a lot of siblings or a lot of nieces and nephews or a lot of, you need more people to populate your story because if readers like your story, they want you to write more and more and more books in there. And so you need more people to write about. So definitely keeping track of all these relationships is important. Um, you want to know what people do for a living, who's working where, when you mention it. Now, some things you don't have to worry about writing it down until you've written it down in your story. Other things you do need to keep track of, you know, this backstory element so that when you at some point in the future possibly mention it, you're mentioning it correctly however many times that you do bring it up. Um, so like I said, you know, all the character description stuff can be in the story Bible, you know, tattoos, um, birthmarks, uh, anything that you might mention in the story, uh, anything that the reader is going to read, and then that you therefore need to make sure everybody needs to always remember, you know, this is an element that we have now created, the reader has read it, that makes it, you know, story Bible, <laughs> it makes it Bible, it makes it law, we can't randomly change it unless we purposely go through and and then he went to the doctor and had his tattoo removed you know that sort of thing um of course it's sometimes it's hard for us to remember the eye color and hair color and skin color of all of our characters so again those character description type stuff would be in there you want to keep track of the things that you've mentioned about the setting so business names where businesses are located street names um sometimes you i just kind of draw out a little bit of a map like this is approximately where this is and that is and that is and and if I use a real map then I'll kind of 
make a photocopy and then try to, I don't know. It, sometimes I find it more dip- difficult to use a photocopy of a real map, um, but I'm a terrible artist, so it's better, honestly, sometimes than me trying to draw a map. But anyway, so then I'll like put a line through this real street name and write the new street name that, that I put in my fictional book. Um, so anything that's a major local or national event. So for instance, if there's an annual festival, some sort of jubilee, um, a circus or any kind of thing that comes to town, um, particularly if it's annual, um, any national event that you want to include in it, this is more likely to happen if you're writing historical or contemporary that's really closely tied with, you know, the current world, like maybe a political thriller or something. You want to keep track of local and national events that would have made a difference at the time. Um, our, uh, interviewee last week, Linda Carroll Brad was talking about that, uh, during a certain year in a certain part of America, there is a ginormous snowstorm, and they all had to remember, okay, during this period of time, like, we need to know there was a snowstorm there. We're, we're writing historical fiction. We can't just pretend there wasn't a ginormous snowstorm during this time. And so they had to all decide what they were going to do about it. Um, again, anything that's a, a real history event or real weather, like I'm ra- writing... Uh, everything that I'm writing has no historic, that's just contemporary made up stuff. So I'm not too worried about um, actual historic things that are happen- that have recently happened or that are happening now or anything like that. But I'm very keen to make sure I get the weather right. So for instance, all of my books are set in Michigan. I haven't lived in Michigan for a while. And the weather changes. You'll have one year where um, you've got a half a foot of snow on the ground by Halloween. And another year where you've barely gotten any snow sticking to the ground at all until after New Year's. So, um, But trying to keep track of when it's likely to be a rainy season, a snowy season, um, the average temperatures, um, if you want something to be particularly above or below average, just making sure that it's possible that the numbers that you're using, you know, the temperatures and stuff is, you know, a possibility that that would make sense in that particular, uh, month in that particular area, stuff like that. Uh, anything basically that you've had to research, um, information that you're trying to hang on to and remember so that when you need it, you can refer to it properly. Flora and fauna, the kinds of trees and flowers and animals and, um, oh gosh, you know, all those things that you research to make sure that when you're writing in Texas or Michigan or Nevada, you're writing the correct kinds of things that are actually there. So that's all like a setting section. Um, You want to make sure that you're keeping track of marriages and babies and deaths and divorces and probably family trees. You want to make sure that you're keeping track of pets, who has what and what you named it. So you can remember, oh, I put a cat named Snickers in Unexpected Superhero, so I need to remember that throughout the rest of the superhero series, Tori and Joe own a cat named Snickers, and this is what Snickers looks like, (laughs) And, and not accidentally change the the Persian Siamese cat to a tabby or something like that. A tabby named Joe, like that would be bad. (laughs) Though it would be funny if you had somebody whose pet was named the same name as them. But anyway, I, I, what's the word? I can't think of a word. Digress. (laughs) Uh, Pets, hobbies, 
you know, who's the, the guy who's always going swimming, who's the guy who's always on the jet ski, who's the person who's afraid of water and really does not ever want to go out on the lake. You want to make sure you remember that one. Um, it's totally fine if, you know, she's a side character or something, or he's a side character. And you think maybe that will never actually come up until you're like, oh, I need another couple to put in book six. Oh, you know what? I'll use her. It'll be great. But you forgot that you made her afraid of water or him or whatever. Um, so anything like that. Uh, cars, homes, uh, any kind of backstory. Do you have a character who's never been out of the county where they were born or the state where they live or never been out of the country that they live in? Um, the, one of the most interesting fascinating things to me when I moved to Australia was that because I live so close to Canada, I never really think about going to Canada as going to another country. You know, before 9-11, you just kind of showed your Michigan driver's license and said, okay, I'll be back in a few hours or whatever. I'll be back after the weekend. And they were like, okay, bye. Um, okay, welcome back. You know, it was not a big deal. Um, so when I went to Australia, that was my first like going to a new country experience, you know, kind of emotionally. And all the people that I talked to, of course, I'm sure it wasn't, but it felt like all the people that I talked to, there was nobody who had only ever been to Australia. Like everybody had been someplace else and lots of people had been lots of other places. And I was like, wow, this is a totally different kind of culture, you know, but if I go back home to Michigan and I talk to somebody now that I've, you know, been traveling more in the United States and other parts of the world. And then I talk to somebody and they've either never lived any place but Michigan, you know, born there, raised there, maybe, you know, moved around within a couple of towns, but really never been anyplace else. I always kind of had this moment of, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That could happen. And I think of that as being, you know, like a small town thing that would happen in Michigan. But I have a friend who was born and raised in the greater LA area and she's lived in California her whole life. And it occurred to me, huh, it's really the same. Just because she was born in a big city and my other friends maybe are born in a little small town. The fact is, if you've never lived anyplace else but where you were born and raised, that changes how you see the world to some degree versus somebody who's been to all sorts of different places or even one other place or one other place and come back. So some of these sorts of elements, you might want to remember to say, you know, Mike went away two years ago, but now he's back and he never talks about, you know, where he was. Well, that's really interesting. And it might be something that was sort of a throwaway comment in this book, but might be like a big story um, in book seven or something like that. Um, then as you write each book, now you've written down everything that you've got that has to do with any thought that you've had about this town or these people or whatever. Now, as you're writing each book, you'll go back and add to the story Bible, um, the new characters. Uh, again, it's just so helpful to notice before it's too late that you have 17 characters whose first name starts with a T, you know, <laughs> uh, Tom, Terry, Teresa, and whoever else, um, versus being able to, at least before you finish each book, you can make sure I haven't done anything that makes this more difficult to read or confusing to readers or that readers are going to have a question going, but I thought blah, blah, blah. Because remember, even though you might be writing these books, you know, every few months or if you're traditionally published one a year or something like that, again, if the reader is maybe reading all three of them in a row in a week or a month, 
everything is going to be completely fresh in their mind, which is why the story Bible can be really important. So as you're writing each book, you'll bring in the new character names, what happened to whom, who met whom, uh, think of the journalism five W's and H, who, what, when, where, why, and how, what are the highlights of each book that you need to keep track of in case it comes up in, in a conversation or in a plot or something like that later. Now, um, <laughs> some of the things might seem really minor, uh, like what car people drives or whatever. But again, when Tori's car, an unexpected superhero, blows up, and for several years, you know, when I was writing that book and rewriting it and rewriting it some more for my agent, um, she had a Saturn. I owned a Saturn at the time, and I loved my Saturn, and so my heroine had a Saturn that she loved. But then when it exploded, of course, she had to go car shopping, and then I had a pretty good idea of the car that I wanted her to buy because it was one that I would buy if I lived there. <laughs> but um, but I can't remember which one. Like, did she buy the Subaru Forester, or did she buy the Subaru, um, the one that's the next level down, the next smaller car down from that? Like, I know she d bought a four-wheel drive Subaru because it's snow country, but I can't remember which one. I don't remember which color. So thank goodness, you know, it's written down. <laughs> um so now you've got all the information that you had when you started the first book and as you're adding each book or you're thinking, yeah, I have six books already and I've already gotten reader email about things that I accidentally made a mistake about. Um, so you're starting your story Bible, in which case really it's a matter of you start reading slash skimming from page one of book one and you start writing down all this information plus anything that you already had in your notes from when you were writing each one of the books. But how you organize the information, there are lots of things on the internet, lots of really great articles about um, ways to create a story Bible or organize this kind of information. But as always, I strongly believe that you should organize it in the way that your brain is most likely to think. So for instance, you could organize it according to what happens in each individual book to each person, um, naming uh, everything that happens in each setting, uh, the weather, the time of year it was in each book. You know, maybe you're thinking about it in books. Maybe you're the kind of person who thinks about it in people. So all of the characters, each one of them will get maybe a separate sub-document for the big ones and then a really, really big sub-document that lists out all the more minor characters. Um, so primary and sec secondary characters might have their own little sub-documents in Scrivener or you know, you're doing a page break between each person in Word or something like that. Um, so maybe you organize everything by character. And then with those characters you have, and they drive this kind of car, and they work at this place, or they own that business, and they live in this kind of house, and that sort of thing. Or maybe um, you have things set up more that have to do with the town. And so, for instance, in um, my Loon Lake series... Um, the town has decided that they want to be more tourist friendly. And so they strongly recommend that the businesses have a cutesy name. So uh, for instance, the book Love at the Fluff and Fold, it's at the Loon Lake Fluff and Fold. You know, it's got alliteration in it and that sort of thing. So there'll be a love at the gas and go and love at the something else, you know, and there'll be either alliteration or some cutesiness to it. Um, one of the businesses is called the Laughing Loon. It's a kind of convenience store. So everything has um, has some some cute element to it. And so as as a town, there are these, you know, 
financial reasons why they're like, let's do this. It'll bring in more tourists and everybody, you know, will earn more money and, you know, our community will thrive and that sort of thing. So maybe, um, maybe I would do the way that I would do it actually is to create a separate sub document that just lists again, all of the businesses. But then instead of putting all the information in two places, I would just say, you know, the laughing loon convenience store, you know, um, on the lake, on this road, across the street from this, um, you know, the, the fluff and fold, and then, you know, owned by so-and-so, uh, and I'll see also, you know, Cassie Lane and Danny Kessler. And then when you go back to those sub-documents for those two people, you see all the additional information about the Laughing Loon, how, you know, she's a co-owner in it, and then he became a co-owner when he married her and that sort of thing. Um, so it just depends on how your brain is most likely to organize information and to find information easy um, to easy to capture, easy to find, that sort of thing. So anything that you can do to make it searchable, to make your story Bible searchable is a really, really good idea. So, so long as you have um, a couple of different areas where you can cross-reference, you know, this person to that business or this person to, you know, see also under Cassie Lane, I might have, you know, see also Danny Kessler or um, it probably wouldn't be that like that exactly for those two characters because I would just say married to Danny Kessler on this date or something like that. But under Danny, I might have, you know, see also Caroline whatever her last name, um, because she played a part in the story and there was interaction between them that may lead to something else in her story, that sort of thing. Uh, any distinguishing traits that you want to remember about the businesses um, or the town or elements of the town or whatever? In Little Miss Lovesick, um, I, I set that book and there will be more books that are all set in Traverse City, which is a real town. It's the town that I um, spent a lot of time in growing up and then went to college and married and that sort of thing in Traverse City. And at the time that I lived there, the omelet shop had the best cinnamon rolls in town. That was, you know, totally my opinion, but I absolutely positively would tell anybody I knew, if you want great cinnamon rolls, you go to the omelet shop. And I think I put that in Little Miss Lovesick. And so that would be something where I would try to remember to have other characters. If somebody's talking about the best cinnamon rolls, you know, in some other book, then it'll be fun to have somebody bring up, oh, have you had the ones at the omelet shop? That sort of thing. So those are, um, they're just nice little sort of side mention things that readers love. They love to see how different people are interacting with, um, with the same elements or interacting with each other, having, having fun with the story, that sort of thing. So you could create a separate story Bible for each series, which definitely is the way that I would do it since I have a superhero series, a series set in a real town, and a series set in a pretend version of, of a town that I know, but it's totally pretend in the book. Um, there is a little bit, there, I have room for a little bit of crossover because the pretend town is located not very far away from the real town. I don't know if I'll do crossover or not, but um, if I do, because those series are already pretty different from each other, I mean, different enough uh, as a writer, um, 
I would probably put, you know, see also, you know, this character name in Little Miss Lovesick or something like that if I had her be the real estate agent for somebody in Loon Lake. Um, but for the most part, they're not really related series. Uh, there aren't relatives and that sort of thing, you know, going on for generations. But if you had a big series like that, like Lorraine Snelling, one of our guests from a few weeks ago, um, she writes this series where she started with this one family and then they had children and grandchildren and, you know, great grandchildren. And so all of these people, or at least some of the people in every book are related to the, that first family in the first book. So technically with a series like that, you could have one ginormous story Bible. I would back it up in multiple locations. You don't want to lose that kind of massive amounts of information, but also you could have story Bibles for each individual um, series or sub-series or however you want to look at it. Um, so for instance, with Lorraine's books, you know, some the be beginning ones are set at Red River, I, I think. I mean, the series title is Red River of the North, I think. Um, but then she's got a series set in Blessing, which is a different town. I actually think there might be more than one series set in Blessing. I can't remember. She has so many books. But that is exactly why you need a story Bible, because if your series gets big, then you don't want to have to go through 10 or 20 books. So whether you decide to create, you know, one story Bible or multiple story Bibles for each series or each trilogy or whatever it is that you're doing, doesn't matter. As long as what you do is like Deborah Holland said, start now. It's much harder after book eight. It's way harder after you've got 60 books in a Kindle world like she does. And, you know, it would be nice if you didn't get email from a reader that says, whatever happened to the sister or neighbor who was pregnant in book two? Did she have a boy or a girl? I've heard that sometimes authors get questions like that. Well, I hope this has helped you to have some ideas about how to collect your information, how to organize it, what information you should keep track of, and um, just an encouragement to you that writing a series can be a really fun thing, and readers love it, and I think that probably we writers will have even more fun with it if we don't get frustrated a few books in because we can't remember what we wrote, and we don't really feel like we have time to go read our 80,000-word books over again to try to find the information. So start now. All right. I hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you more on Thursday.